You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Monster with Steve Peralt and Joey Capone. Welcome to episode 64 of the official Red Sox podcast, Inside the Monster, presented by Odyssey with myself, Steve Peralt, and Joey Capone. Today, we are soon to be joined by former Red Sox reliever and current Nesson Red Sox analyst, Lenny DiNardo. Lenny was great. Lenny gave us a lot of good stuff, a lot of 2004 talk. Any chance we get to talk 04, we're going to do it. That was his first year with the team. Uh, the ups and downs of of his baseball career and, you know, navigating his way through. He was going through times in Pawtucket and dealing with injuries. And I'm always interested to hear from a player's perspective of navigating through the tough times. I think we always talk about, oh, how crazy was it when you guys won it all and, and the duck boats and this, that, the other thing. I'm always interested in how do you overcome some of the harder points of your career and your life in general. And Lenny dives into that. He's super honest with us. And uh, it was just a fun interview, honestly. He talks about his first appearance in the World Baseball Classic, the first World Baseball Classic in 2006, first ever, WBC, and the process of getting onto Team Italy and how, how difficult that was. I'm always intrigued by how you can prove that you deserve to play on a certain team when you're not just the obvious, oh, I grew up in the DR, so of course I'm playing for that team. He uh, gives us kind of a behind-the-scenes look at how tough it was just to prove that he should be able to play for Team Italy. And a lot of talks of you know his whole journey, his whole career, and playing in Oakland, facing Barry Bonds, getting his first hit in San Francisco to Barry Bonds, and how this Nesson role came to be. And I know I mentioned it earlier, but... It's a really good discussion of the challenges of navigating through a career, the ups and downs, and understanding that if you keep grinding, you keep working, there normally is that light at the end of the tunnel. And his talks on getting the Nesson job, how he's progressed with the Nesson job, I think he's incredible doing pre- and post-game stuff. And he gives a great insight. He's smooth. He's comfortable up there. And yeah, Lenny's just had a really cool and interesting baseball life. And it was a fun conversation, a lot of good behind the scenes stories. And without further ado, we will dive right into this interview with Lenny DiNardo after this brief break. All righty, we are joined by former Red Sox pitcher and current Nesson Red Sox analyst, Lenny DiNardo. Lenny, thanks for doing this, man. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. We're going to jump right into this. And obviously, any chance I get, talk about 2004. That's just what I want to do constantly, especially with how this season's going. I just want to talk about the good times. Your first year with the Red Sox was in 2004. And your first career game, I was doing a little research here, was in Yankee Stadium in the ninth inning. You guys were up 11-2, to so it's not like it was, you know, (laughs) that sounds like, oh my God, it was a one-run game and I couldn't believe it. But what was that experience like, having that be your first outing? I mean, it was great. I mean, Tito, Tito put me in a position to where I couldn't give it up too much. Yeah. Right. If, the, uh, if I gave up a few runs, we were still in the mix. So I always appreciated that. And uh, I always hate seeing when these rookies come in and they, they're in these situations where they give it up or there's a grand slam. And I'm like, oh, you're going to have to talk about that for the rest of your life. Hey, what was your first <laughs> outing? Well, five runs, third of an inning. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was great, though. I ended up coming in the game and I faced Gary Sheffield. Matsui and Bernie Williams in a row. And uh yeah, I couldn't feel my legs run in from the bullpen to the mound. It was uh, I felt like it was just I felt like I was in uh home alone. You know the cereal scene at the end of the movie where in the they're in the Cheerios. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I felt running to the mound from the bullpen. This is un unrealistic giant cereal bowl where people were yelling obscenities from all different directions. And uh I, I just I, I was a nervous wreck. I felt like I didn't throw one strike in the warm ups. Uh, and of course, you can't help but look. Who am I facing, right? Because I can't remember. Yeah. That. I don't know where I'm at right now. Uh, and yeah, Gary Sheffield's coming up. Like, oh, all right. So just don't screw this up, kid. That's what you're saying. And finally, you kind of have to calm yourself down in the moment. You, you keep telling yourself it's 60 foot six inches, it's the same dimensions that you played in high school ball. And that doesn't really work. You're still a nervous wreck. And yeah. yeah. There's nothing you do other than just to take a deep breath and and uh, and go right after the hitters. It's like running with the bulls. That's what it felt like. Just and nervous. You got a one, one, two, three inning, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was a ground out to third, strikeout, ground out to third. Mark Bellhorn was playing third base that day. Made some outstanding plays. Dave McCarty, all seven foot three of them, was playing first base, and he made some great stretches to for some bang bang uh, outs from from third base. Yeah, that is my first. That, see, that's the thing. So I always end these with a trivia question about the former player that we're interviewing. That was going to be it. Who was your first career strikeout? But then I realized the more I dove into it, like there's no way Lenny does not remember the sequence. And you do. You remember the exact sequence. It was <laughs> Sheffield, Matsui. And then who was the third again? Uh, Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams. Yeah, geez, you faced, I mean, for an 11-2 game in the ninth inning, it's not like any scrubs were in there. You were facing legit guys. Yeah, you can see this is the lineup right there. I don't know if you can oh, make nice. that out, but it's, uh, I mean, Crosby, Jeter, Rodriguez, Giambi, Sheffield, Matsui, Williams, Flaherty, and Wilson. That was the lineup that day. Jeez. So it was a pretty, pretty good lineup back back then. Uh, yes, yeah, so I got that framed up. And I remember that when I get asked all the time, you know, how was your first outing and this and that. But to be honest, my second outing was in Fenway Park, and I can't remember what happened. I, I think it was the Rays. I don't know who I faced, how many innings, what the date was, anything like that. So yeah, couldn't tell you. Do a lot of the other ones blend together? Like I, I know from your career, and of course you had to do you know the up and down thing, and you had time in Pawtucket and all that. But do, like, what really sticks out from that 04 season? Uh, you know, for you specifically, obviously the team you know ends up going on a crazy run. But what was something that that kind of stuck out to you that was like, ah, yeah, I remember that. Like, can't forget that moment. There, there were. I mean, for me, 
first of all, it was such a learning experience because I'd never pitched the big league level. I never, I never pitched in AAA prior to pitching at Fenway Park. I was, yeah. I split uh, 2003 in high A and double A in the Mets organization. And I was the rule five pick. And coming into Fenway Park, I really felt like an intern for a lot of the year. Just like, mm-hmm. all right, what do I do? Where do I go? Guys like Mike Timlin, Embry, Falk, these guys really took care of me. Bronson was another guy kind of close to my age that really took me under his wing just to kind of steer me in the right direction so I couldn't screw up too much, right? Because, <laughs> um, I, just, I just didn't know how to act, to be honest, at, at the big league level. And you're, you're playing with a bunch of guys, 35 to 40 years old, who have tons of, tons of time. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember, you know, my role that year for the majority was basically mop up. Anytime a, a starting pitcher got knocked around early, you can kind of tell when you're sitting in the bullpen. There's a walk here, a couple hits in a row. I was going to be in the guy. I was going to be the guy in the first or second inning to kind of fill in and you know go two, three, four innings to kind of save the bullpen. And uh, I was glad to do that work. You know, it was, uh, it was low pressure. Thing. And I, and, <laughs> Low pressure, and I mean, as, as much as low pressure as you can get at the big league level. Yeah. And uh, it was such a learning experience because I was a starter in the minor leagues. You go from kind of a big fish, like, you know, third rounder, kind of a prospect, and, and then you go to Fenway Park, and you're back to the lowest of the low as far as the totem pole. And um, and I was glad to be there, but there was, like I said, there was a lot of learning. Like, when do I get up in this situation? And and, and I remember distinctly Mike Timlin looking down to me at the end of the bullpen where there was a couple walks, a couple hits, whatever it was, the situation where it was going to be mine. And I'm down there kind of twiddling my fingers, you know, just enjoying being there. And, and he looked at me and said, you, hey, this is going to be you. You better you better get up and start stretching, right? Yeah. And uh, such a dad-uncle uh, mentality for most of those guys down there. And I learned pretty quickly, you know, kind of, Gauge the situation. Know when to start taking it upon yourself to get loose stretching, so you don't have to start when the phone rings. So, uh, yeah, yeah. two thousand four. I, I remember certain innings, certain pitches. Like I remember striking out Tripper Jones because I, I I knew him prior. His dad was one of my coaches at Stetson University. Um, different outings like that. Uh, but yeah, you know, you remember the big strikeouts and the big innings. You're, you're oh, yeah, first. You have to. Yeah. Yeah, you got to remember the big ones. I mean, that's the Braves. They, they were always here. And then I know they're having, what, the new schedule. You're going to play everybody. But I'll never really understand that when we could have had, like, Sox Mets and, like, the Dodgers come and say, no, we got to have the Braves here every year for a two-game series. And then we go there for two. It's like, does anyone currently care about the Boston Braves thing? I don't think there's anyone that actually gives a damn about it. I mean, it worked out well for you because Face and Chipper had to be pretty cool. That must have been awesome. It was. I guess I've heard this that there are sister or sister club, whatever that means. Like the Braves yeah. What does that even mean? Club. I've heard that too. Like, what does that mean? No idea. No idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, facing Chipper was great. Like I said, he, he used to come and work out with us, and we would we would kind of had simulated games, and he would step in to get to get abs. And uh, I ended up in one of those exhibition games, striking him out, and I'm walking back to the dugout, and he looks over at me, and he says. Hey, you gonna call your folks now? And I was like, Yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding me? And uh, and then and and when we were in Atlanta in 2004 interleague, I struck him out again. And the next day, he comes over to me. He says, You call your folks after that? I was like, Yeah, I sure did. I because that one counted. That one's gonna be on the back of my card. So that yeah. is awesome. I love that. Imagine I can't imagine being that good a player where you're like, I know, I know what you're gonna do. You're gonna call your parents because you struck me out. That's I mean, he was. Yeah. 
Chipper was that guy, though. I, I feel like we don't have a lot of those guys left that are obvious lifers on a team. And I, I know we'll we'll talk about Bogey later, but it's like that's so rare now, right? It really is. It really is. I mean, you know, agents and and the way the the ball game's going, nobody's staying with with the same team. It's just yeah. uh, it, it's it, the game has changed in so many different ways, and that's one of them. And uh, if if a guy like Bogarts were to stay his whole career, it, it would just be you know you can count on one hand really the number of guys that that end up doing that this, this day and age. So 2004, you end up getting the World Series ring. I don't really ask the the players on this team that that often this specific question, but I am curious. I, I ended up getting a ring in 2013 for working at Nesson, which is really laughable if you break it down for being a production assistant. But you guys got the real deal ring. What's yeah, up? They gave me one in 2018 for broadcasting. I was happy to take one. They, they called me up. What's your ring size? We're going to give you a ring. I wasn't going to turn something down. I didn't pitch I, one pitch that year. But hey, I'm telling you though, they that email they sent out because like yeah, I mean you're you're on TV, you know, you guys do a really good job pre and post, and you played for the team. When we're getting an email as a production assistant that we're gonna size your, you know, get the ring side, we're like, all right, who sent this? Like, who sent this email? This has to be a joke. But you got the real deal in 04 for playing on the team. What was that experience like? And what's the first reaction when you open that up and say, Oh my, like my name's on this. This is nuts. Yeah, yeah, it was surreal. It was surreal because we were playing the Yankees opening 2005, and and we were all there. We walked on the field to get it. Larry Lucchino and, and Tom Warner and, and and John Henry were all there kind of shaking our hands, and they handed us this cool little wooden box, and we just opened it up and looked at it, and it was just uh, a dream come true. I mean, people play seasons and seasons, careers, without getting a World Series ring, and and here I am, uh, my first year in baseball. <laughs> there you go. It was a, a surreal feeling being able to get that ring. And 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 guys like Pokey Reese, uh, Pokey in particular, came up to me after we won in 2004 and said, "Do you realize how special this is?" And I, you know, I got a single A ring. I got two single A rings, a triple A ring. Uh, and you just don't realize that people play their whole careers without getting anything like this. And my first year, I ended up getting one. I didn't sniff one since until yeah. I was broadcasting. And, you know, to go back to you getting a ring for being part of the crew, you know, helping to broadcast. And, and, and even though it was behind the scenes, that speaks to what type of organization the Red Sox and Ness and oh, yeah. who they are, you know, they, they appreciate everybody that, that puts in their hard work and time to, to put these games together. Yeah, I, I really – I'm still stunned. I'll look at it, and I'm like, this is crazy. It actually says Peralta on there. That's nuts. But um, for that 04 to 06 stretch when you're with the Red Sox and, you know, some time injured, some time in Pawtucket, who were you closest with during that stretch? Because for you, I'm sure it felt like, like, where is my home? I'm here, I'm there, I'm doing a little of this, a little of that. Like, it was probably a, a tricky time to navigate. Who were you closest with during that time? Yeah, I mean, there were there were a few guys in that stretch that were kind of on the same train. Guys like Mark Malaska and Phil Seibold and and Duke came up in, in 2004. I think he rode that train a couple times, not as many mm. trips as me, but you know he did. Uh, so there there were other guys in the same boat that were we were going through it as well. And you know, there's uh, there's not a lot of shoulders to cry on when you get sent down. To be honest, you got to go down there and you got to do a job. If you yeah. don't do your job, you're not going to be the next call up, right? So. You, it sounds cliche, but you got you got to go down to AAA, get your work in, and perform, 
in order to kind of stay on the radar. So, uh, yeah, I mean, going down is tough, but again, you got to make the most of the opportunity in AAA if you want to get back to the big leagues. And I was like five or six times in 05. I can't remember what it was in 2006. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're happy to do it, especially for me, a guy that never pitched in AAA prior to 04. I probably need a little bit more seasoning, even after a year in the big leagues, to get some some innings under my belt, just a little bit more experience and, and to, uh, to kind of, you know, feel my way around the minor leagues because I was so young. Uh, mentally, physically, I just didn't, I didn't have the stuff that a lot of these big leaguers had. I was never a hard thrower. So I needed to adapt and, and work out my cutter to make that effective off my changeup and be able to be confident to throw my, my, my curveball three, two and, or oh, oh, whatever it was. Uh, so it was a matter of getting work in and just waiting for the next opportunity. How much is a buggy to see guys that look like they can just throw a hundred just to stay in shape as Eck would say, like, there's some guys now that just say, eh, whatever, hundo doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and and it doesn't mean they're great pitchers, though. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but this <laughs> day and age, I, I feel like there's a lot of them. Let's just say that. There's no, I know. There's one that comes to mind, but you're right. You are right, yeah. It's just – it's like I, I wish I had that in me to be able to just reach back and throw 98 miles an hour. I've never, never had that. I don't know what it feels like, to be honest. So yeah. uh, I had to, to figure out how to pitch and change speeds and, and be able to add on miles per hour as well as take off. A lot of these guys, they don't have that. They throw 98, and they can take off a little bit, but they're not digging deep and throwing 101, right? It's this yeah. full torque, every pitch. And uh, for me, I always felt when I wasn't – when my arm was a little bit tired, I had a little bit more movement, I might be able to spot my pitches up a little bit better, and I was more effective that way. Uh, you know, changing speeds and, and even having a little bit more dip on my, my cutter rather than kind of the same plane. It would just drop a little bit below the barrel. Um, but, okay, so these days pitchers are drafted according to what they light up the radar gun. So yeah. everything's focused in, in amateur ball, high school, college, on let's see what we can – how hard we can throw. How hard can we can we get this? So guys are drafted, and then the, the team says, okay, let's teach them how to pitch now. When, when I was drafted prior, you had to learn how to pitch. If you could get it up there a little bit and pitch, then you have a shot. So in college, I, I topped out at 91, 92, never pitched there, never really pitched at that, especially in pro ball. I was, you know, I might have hit that once in a while early, but not even close typically on average. So it's just there's so many schools out there. And I say schools, these, these institutions that are bringing a bunch of pitchers in, and they're doing these run-and-gun things where they're crow hopping and throwing 105 into a net 10 feet away. And then uh, how does that translate into pitching? It's great throwing exercise, but yeah, you, you got, uh, there's kind of a little bit of a give and take as far as being able to spot balls. And when you see a pitcher that knows how to pitch these days, you stop and watch. It's like, wow, this guy actually throws where the, throws the ball where he wants it, can, can change speeds, and uh, – it's it's fun to watch. I hope the game starts starts to go back that direction soon. It does really feel like we've gotten away from that. Even you mentioning that, I'm thinking, yeah, how many guys are there that have speed and control? I, I don't really think it's a thing at all. You either have one or the other. So um the art of pitching, I don't know. I mean, it's as a fan and with those rules, I wasn't gonna ask this, but I actually am really curious to what you you think of the the new MLB rules because the pitchers didn't seem to like it. It was a, a pretty specific like keep the game as it is. This sucks. And obviously the shift is going to hurt them. 
pitch clock, I think it'll hurt them, but long term, I think they'll be fine. But again, I'm speaking as a fan. As a pitcher, how do you look at those rules and how they're going to impact pitchers uh, across the league? I, I feel like the pitch clock is is great. I don't know if if it's if it's 15 seconds or 20 seconds, depending on someone's on base, is going to be uh, the right number. They're going to work that out. And they came out and said, "Listen, we can change these things as we go." But if they feel like 20 seconds just isn't quite enough, add maybe add a couple uh, seconds to the clock. I get it, but uh, Rich Hill's not the guy that's going to be affected by this, and he seems to be one of the most outspoken. Right? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, um, I feel like pitchers need to get on the rubber. If, if if you throw a pitch, you don't need to walk two laps around the mound, take all oh. this time, get it rock and fire. It's going to help the game. It's actually going to help the pitchers kind of keep that tempo, keep hitters more on their heels. And there's a little bit more of a cat and, cat and mouse game, too. Like when you see Rich throw, you see hitters, like Diaz in particular, I'm going to say the he last time. He hated it. He hated it in yeah, Tampa. Yeah, he kept calling time out. He was annoyed. <laughs> And I yeah. like that. That's fun to watch. I feel like it's a good experience for the fans to kind of to kind of see that back and forth as well. Um, but yeah, some pitchers are going to have to adjust more than others. Uh, and if twenty seconds isn't enough, I think they'll know relatively quickly if they need to adjust that or not. As far as the shift, um, there's nothing worse than for me watching a game, seeing a hitter light up a ball right up the middle, and a, and a shortstop standing on second base and catches it. Yeah. And also, if you if you if you get a little grounder to third base and there's nobody there, you make a good pitch. It's weak contact and it's it's brutal. But uh, I think with with everything in life, uh, if adjustments need to be made and they're not really I don't want to say forced, but if they're not like mandatory, people aren't gonna just take it upon themselves to be quicker. Yeah, Rich thinks they they, they will, but I just I don't have enough confidence in the whole Major League Baseball pitcher uh, pitcher squadron to just say, all right, let's just be quicker. <laughs> they would have by now, I feel like. You know? Yeah. And so. I, I get it. I get it from Rich Hill's standpoint of I think he's speaking up for maybe some guys that aren't don't want to speak up. He's been in the league forever. He's 42. It's like I, I get it. But, but yeah, you guys are the same age, right? You could still be pitching for the Sox. I mean, we, we gotta have a Lenny comeback now. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I play uh well, I go down to Sox fantasy camp every January. And uh my first year doing it, I was 35. And uh, at the time, I was long tossing with a bunch of high schoolers trying to teach them. And I was kind of just you know, going through the motions. And I was throwing one day out of the week. There's a pro versus camper game. And I went out through six innings, struck everybody out. Six innings, <laughs> three of us out. Strike out, strike out, strike out. Uh, Mike Timblin and Fault came up to me and said, you're throwing harder now than when you play. Whether it's because I had a couple of years rest and I was long tossing. I was in good shape. Frank Viola called the Mets and was like, listen – Sign this guy, nothing ever came of it. But uh, here's the thing, though. As you get older and older, uh, the velocity might be there, but the next day you're like, yeah. I need surgery. So <laughs> if the there's like yeah. Yeah, like a 15-man rotation, I could probably maybe throw. But okay. I need two weeks off in between at this point. So you were throwing a fantasy out. camp uh, perfect game, basically, with, with all Ks. You were, that was like that's some little that's some little league stuff. Watching that little league World Series, that Hawaii team, that's basically what they did. They just struck everybody out. It's like okay, game's over. I'm telling you, it was, and I'm I, I'm not, I'm not bragging about striking out a bunch of doctors and lawyers. I love these guys, but they'll tell you it was like six straight immaculate innings. I mean, it was like <laughs> it was unbelievable. Uh, it is a lot of fun, but I'll tell you, each year I do it, it's like okay, six innings, four innings, three innings. Now I'm like yeah. two innings. 
I'll give up a bloop every now and then. I'm not necessarily striking everybody out. The ship's sinking slowly. Taking water, man. That's funny though. You had you basically had a perfect game in the in the Fort Myers Bay again. That's I, I didn't know that. That is very funny. Yeah. Um, so World Baseball Classic coming up in six months. You played in the first ever World Baseball Classic in 2006 for Italy. What was that experience like? And what was it like going up against the Dominican Republic? Because I looked up their roster. I remember them being stacked, but I forgot they were this stacked. Yeah, David Ortiz, Albert Pujols, Jose Reyes, Miguel Tejada, Alfonso Soriano, Adrian Beltre, Vladdy Sr., Bartolo Colon, Francisco Lindor, also known as Francisco Lariano. Lindor would not have been on that team. Uh, the list goes on and on. So what was that like? But first off, how did you realize, oh, I can play in the World Baseball Classic. This is going to be awesome. The first one ever. The experience was great. It was great. And somebody in Italy that spoke very, very little English contacted me somehow and says, hey, you're Italian, right? I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm like Irish Italian, right? My my last name's Italian. I got a lot of Irish, but uh, he wanted to, to figure out if I was eligible. So he wanted to kind of know the lineage. Who came over? When did he come over? So we ended up going through and, and asking family members and and people over in Italy, if they could send us documents. And we ended up finding out that my great grandfather came over, uh, 1916. He was 11. So him and his mother came over and that was it. Uh, <laughs> father was no longer the picture. I think he passed away in world war one or something. Okay. Uh, just, just, yeah. So it was just them. And then, uh, we found out the, the, the name of the boat. We got a ship's manifest of the, with their name and everything on. It was pretty cool going through the process. And, they said, that's good enough. Uh, meet us in Orlando at this time and date. And it was great. So Mike, Mike Piazza and uh, uh, Grilly and Catalanato. And those were kind of the big name, big leaguers at the time. We had a bunch of guys, kids really from Italy that came over to play as well. And my favorite part was seeing them walk in the clubhouse and seeing guys like Piazza, like mm. their, their lockers right next to Mike freaking piazza they were just they, yeah it was, was speechless and i was speechless kind of looking at their reaction it was outstanding and uh i mean we were obviously overmatched but uh, i want to say we i think it was that year i think because i played no nine too and at the the toronto venue but i want to say we 10 run ruled australia you did first game and, yeah 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 and then uh, i mean the dominican republic you, you read the, the roster just uh you're not going to get past that, right? Six three I mean, final score, good. though. It's not that wasn't. It's not yeah. like you guys got blown out. So, I bet. Yeah, yeah, that's baseball. But yeah, it was a great experience. Um, I still talk to some of the guys from Italy. That uh, we had Alex Liddy, uh, uh, Maestri, who pitched over here for a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was a great experience, and I played again in 2009. Like I said, we we're in the Toronto venue, and we we're in Venezuela in the United States. Is uh, bracket. So again, I think we won one game in that that tournament as well. But like I said, it was a great experience uh, just seeing the, the native Italians uh, come over because that it started to get bigger over in Italy, the game of baseball. And I, I, I've been talking to some people about going over and running some camps and clinics to, to kind of further the game over there. And uh, it all kind of happened from being uh, with the WBC those those two to two years. Well, you were basically playing at like Disney World, right? In 06? Is that like the Disney baseball yeah. field? Did you guys go to yeah. on any rides or anything? That that feels like a good team bonding experience, though. <laughs> no? Yeah, it was the, I want to say it was the Braves facility back then. Yeah, yeah, it was their spring training. Yeah. Uh, it was called Boardwalk and Baseball back then or not. But it's, yeah, it was in Orlando. 
the facility was nice, but we didn't really have enough time to kind of take in Disney per se. It was really just kind of go to the club, go to the clubhouse, get dressed, play games, practice, have team dinners and whatnot, and, uh, and go from there. It wasn't a ton of leisure time, uh, but yeah, it was it was great. Uh, I'm too old to play in the other one, or the new one this year, unfortunately. But uh, are you know, too old? Yeah. Are you just saying you're too old? Or are you are you actually too old? I feel like you could. They have to throw one game. They could throw one game. <laughs> that they could use you. Yeah. Hey, there's still time. Yeah. I feel like they're still putting rosters together. I feel like every other day there's a tweet about so and so is going to whatever team for March. So yeah. you got six months. You can get ready for it. Get shape real quick. I know Piazza has been over in Italy a lot. He's he's involved with the Italian Federation. He coaches over there. He might be involved with this this upcoming tournament. He might be one of the coaches at least. Yeah, uh, I played be... with him again in Oakland in 2007. Is his last year. He was he was a great teammate, great guy, fun to be around. It's a perfect transition. To the next question: You're on the A's in 2007. I am curious what it was like facing Barry Bonds. And I'm I'm looking at the Lenny Donardo game log here, and I see you're in San Francisco facing Barry Bonds. He's ten home runs away from breaking the all-time home run record. What is that matchup like? What's the strategy there? Just like hope he doesn't hit one eight hundred feet. Is that how that goes? Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I think he's zero for four with a walk off me career. Yes, he he, he is a zero 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 average against you. He got nothing off you. Okay. He got on base okay, once. Yeah, I, walk, whatever. Yeah. Walk. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think he was intentional. I wasn't, I wasn't part of that. No, you, you made him face like seven, six or seven pitches. So there you go. That's, that's not bad. Okay. okay. Good. Yeah. So, you know, I, I went right after him. Um, you know, I was, again, I wasn't blowing anybody's doors off. And you know, Barry can hit a fastball. So for me, it was kind of just, again, pitch, go out there and pitch, work in and out, try not to throw it in that, that hot zone down and in move his feet a little bit and, and try to get a ground ball with a little bit of sink on the cutter and the changeup and mix in some curveballs. Um, he, uh, my one hit in the big leagues was actually two Barry Bonds. Uh, <laughs> my, my terrible hit. It's uh, it was like a check swing and Barry was in left field. I didn't even take a full cut. I always regret not. Taking it is a full funny. Cut. I I've seen them play it on Nesson. It, it's, it's, but you got to hit who cares, right? It's a line drive in the box yeah. score. Who cares? Well, that's what I was telling people for years until the video surfaced. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I hit a rope to Barry Potts. Yeah. yeah, rope. But Vizquel was playing. I would say Vizquel was a short. Bonds was in right. And it kind of just neither one of them could get to it. But that's yeah. one of my proudest moments. I got a hit in the big leagues. One for five. But you again, have the ball, right? You got, you got the ball? I've got the ball somewhere on that side of the room. I've got the oh. bat somewhere in this. My de- Yeah, the bat's over there. Okay. I can see the bat. But yeah, I've got the bat, the ball. Nice. Everything uh, to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was fun. It was fun. But yeah, pitch Barry. If you're going to pitch to Barry, pitch carefully. Don't, yeah. don't think you're going to beat him with the fastball. You got you to beat him with some movements and changing of speeds. It was an interesting time. We were talking on our last show about what's the last milestone home run that you remember. And I honestly, there's not many recently. Like I kind of think of 07 with him breaking the all time record against the Nationals, like in San Francisco. And I miss that. I miss home run chases. And like, I kind of grew up on the McGuire, you know, Sosa. And like, how do you look at the judge thing right now? Like I, I've gotten a little bit of some, some Sox fans don't love that. I'm kind of rooting for it. Cause I like historic home runs and we like personally myself and Joey, the co-host like uh, Aaron judge. But do you think it's, do you think it's not right for Red Sox fans with them being 11 games out to maybe kind of sneaky want to see him 
break a 61-year-old record? Is that a weird thing or no? No, no. If you're a fan of the game, I feel like yeah. you have to kind of root for this guy. You know, I mean, what's not to like? Honestly, I feel like he's respectful to the Red Sox. Anytime the media brings up, hey, how do you feel about this Red Sox club? He's not he's not one of those guys that, you know, could go the other direction, you know, and uh, he's clean as well. He's one of those guys that, you know, they're testing all the time right now. So if anything were to come up, it would be just devastating for the game of baseball. So, you know, he's doing it right. You know, he's he's, he's going out there and doing it the right way, hitting bombs. Not only that, he's hitting for average as well. He's trying to yeah. steal bases. He's trying to do everything right. And you got to respect the way he's gone about it. And who knows where he'll be in the in the near future. So uh, again, he's good. For, he's good for the game. And uh, shoot, I'd love to have him on the Red Sox. He's, I think he's, he's he's a great ball player. And uh, what's not to like, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. It's like we should be looking at what's going to make the team the best moving forward. Obviously, they don't have a cabillion dollars to pay everybody, but. It would be a, it was eye opening. I know his comments weren't that crazy. It was more just like, oh, we'll talk about that at the end of the year. But something about hearing him say, like, acknowledge it, it's like, oh, okay, like, who knows? Maybe this actually happens. I think it's a very small percentage chance, but it's still interesting yeah, to talk about. For sure. He's not shutting any doors. And yeah. when those, those, those photos surface of him wearing a, a Red Sox cap and a Red Sox shirt all come up, you're like, okay, all right, he can wear the uniform, right? He might, yeah. he might. In well, this at Fenway Park. It's you try to convince yourself that, that it could work. Yeah. Uh, your last year in the majors, 2009, at the age of 29. What was that transition like into the next level of your baseball life? I'm sure that's not fun, but I'm curious from your perspective of when you realize, all right, like I, I need to be ready for the next thing. And how was that transition process like? Yeah. I mean, I was with Kansas City that year had a, an outing or two that was good had some really bad outings it was kind of just i knew i was toward the end of my career um and i tried to hold on for a couple more seasons after that i went back to the a's in 2010 and 11 i ended up having a bone chip and a spur taken out of my elbow uh 2012 i played in taiwan and then in 13 i played independent ball for butch hobson and lancaster for the barnstormers and uh I, and, and that last year in Lancaster, I threw a no-hitter against the Ducks. And I was just sitting there waiting for the phone to ring, like, okay, who's going to give me another shot? Yeah. So Rich Hill. Rich Hill did that a few years after me. ended up signing him and, and making a lot of money. And we see where he's at right now, still playing the game. But uh, it was yeah. crickets. Nobody called me. Nobody uh. called. And uh, I ended up hanging it up. And it was okay. Uh, as far as the transition, a lot of players kind of go through what I was going through. And I've talked to a lot of players about this. I didn't watch a pitch in 2014. Uh, I just I, I would take the remote and I would flip right past every baseball game on TV because it was just it was just uh, it was a little tough for me to see guys that I played with and against that were still getting it done, still having a time with their life, playing the game that you you started playing when you're three, four years old, like me. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was hard to cut that cord, and I felt like for me mentally, I just need to kind of step away for a decent amount of time. And it ended up being one season uh, in 14, and, and we moved up to Rhode Island in 15, and then here I am close. I'm an hour and 45, two hours from Fenway Park, and I've got kids, and I said, well, you know, this is a great opportunity to take you guys to Fenway Park and all that, and started kind of dipping my toe in it a little bit more, watching more games because I'm explaining it to my kids and whatnot, and and then I started nesting in 17, and now I'm watching a ton of games. I'm kind of staying in the mix and, figure, and trying to to, uh, to keep an eye on everything. And um, 
you know, I'm back to loving it again, you know, after taking just a little bit of a hiatus just because uh, it, it was rough. It was rough when you do something your whole life and oh, then yeah. you feel like it's just taken away when you feel like you can still get it done. Yeah, that that immediate time has to probably be very painful. Let's just be honest. That that has to suck. Where it's just like I struck that guy out that that you see like I've struck him out on three pitches. Like I I can still do that. So I, I can't imagine that's an enjoyable time. No, and if I threw my shoulder out, if I was just like, listen, I can't throw anymore, that would be different, right? I just yeah. can't do it. But the fact that uh, I was healthy uh, that last year in Lancaster, I was uh, I was throwing the ball pretty well had some success there and I was just kind of ready to go and it just didn't happen. That that's what, that was kind of the dagger right there. Somebody gave me a shot and it just didn't happen. And, uh, yeah. you know, I was, was ready. I was 33 years old back, back then. And, uh, it, it was, it was time to move on whether I knew it or not, you know, <laughs> family was starting to grow and, and, uh, it would have been very difficult to, to, to be in that lifestyle with where I was, uh, family wise too. So it was for the best. And, and again, uh, I'm in a great spot now. I can't play baseball, but I love talking about it. The the gig in essence, kind of a dream come true for me to be able to to go on TV and talk about the game that I I, I loved playing. Yeah, I'm curious how that role came to be. So when did uh, conversations start with Nesson? Because I mean, I, I not just because you're on the show. I'm not sucking up to you. I think you do a great job. It, when you're on pregame, like, all right, I am definitely watching this. <laughs> Lenny's on. I'm going to learn something. I feel like I learn something new every time you're on there. How did that role come to be? And just how's your experience been leading up to this year? It seems like you guys have a really good rhythm. Yeah. Um, so there's this, this club called the Bow Sox Club. They've been around for decades, really. Um, I was I was going to be involved in the talk. You know, they, they get a former player and a player every month or so to kind of talk to everybody and this and that. And Tom Karen was the MC at this one. And after the talk, he, he came up to me and says, have you ever thought about going on TV? And I told him I, I never really did. Um, it just wasn't kind of something that I ever thought about because I'm, I'm I'm really kind of an introvert. I really don't speak up unless I'm kind of spoken to. I've always <laughs> kind of been like that my whole life. Um, but then he, he, he said, hey, uh, if, you, if you're interested, maybe come into the studio and we'll just do a test. So I talked to my wife and I ended up going in and the test was we're just going to go on air and pretend that we're doing a show. They're going to record it. So basically right into the fire, <laughs> I, I got on stage. And the topic was when Pedroia and the Red Sox were in Texas and he made that play behind first base yep. where he dove. It was Moreland at first base. Was, that, yeah. They played the clip and I had to kind of talk about what just happened. And I guess it went well because they said, hey, can you start this date? And uh, the date that I started, I want to say, was the day after uh, Devers was called up. Oh wow! So, okay. Actually, the day I started, he was called. He was called up. So a July of like seventeen or some somewhere around there. Twenty something, twenty fourth, okay. twenty third, somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. And I appreciate you saying I do a good job because I tell you what, I, I work my butt off at it. I get there. Far too early, according to Tom Perrin. He tells me, he's like, don't come in so early. Don't come in so early. Every day he tells me. But I can't help it. I can't help it. I've got that baseball player mentality. When I get, to, I want to get to the clubhouse early. I want to take cuts. I want to do my shadow work. I want to get an early bullpen flag round. That's that's how I, I operate. So I get there, and I've got uh, a routine down where I, I jot down notes about the starting matchup, the pitchers. I look at uh, different stats, you know, who's hot, who's not. Is on the offense. Does this team run? 
you know, who's catching today? How does he throw out runners? Is he, does he have a shot? You know, does the guy mm. on the mound, is he quick to the plate? You know, these different little scenarios. And, and I try to pick out different, uh, different little things that, uh, that might happen during the game to look for. Uh, so I've got a little bit of a routine, a routine down. And sometimes they let me go off and we do these little tutorials on certain pitches and whatnot. And it's fun. It's a lot of fun because I, I teach youngsters how to pitch as well. So it's a lot of what I'm telling a 12-year-old in the batting cage. I'll go on stage and say, this is how you feel the curveball to change up. This is the mentality. Yeah. This is what you're doing mechanically. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, for a 7 o'clock game, we're on at 6. I usually get there at 2.33, and I'll get home around 1.32 o'clock every time I That's do it. That's a full day. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, it's two hours, five, hour 45, two hours there, and the same on the way back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is a lot. Oh man, here it's a lot of gas. <laughs> well, especially for some, and, and you know better than I do. I mean, we'd be there some nights to a ridiculous length, and it wasn't always a post game show, depending on how late the game started. So, like, I know sometimes with the West Coast, it would just be pre. But there's been some nights where I'm like, God, I feel bad for these guys. This is, and I didn't know you had that, that have that long a trip at. That's like, so how how far are you from Nesson? It's minimum hour forty five. When there's nobody in the road, it's hour forty five. But it's typically around two hours. What's the latest time. you've gotten home? Five five fifteen. Oh my yeah. god, that is just. I've, I've with five. I want to say twice. Once, I want to say they were in Seattle. It was like a 14-inning game. You've already had the three-hour difference. Might have been a rain delay. Who knows? But we got we got done with the show, and I drove home. It was, it was uh, 5 a.m. And this, the other one was I did a game in the booth when Jerry was down. Uh, it was Toronto, 19 innings. It was six oh, hours. Oh, right. Oh, my gosh. And that was my second game in the booth, and I was I was like <laughs> – I don't know. I don't know about this. I don't know about this. <laughs> you got to get paid for two games doing that. I remember that game. That was that was like a we have yeah. to end this. And luckily, there's new rules now. They obviously didn't have the extra inning rules at that point. But my God, I wasn't on board. I wasn't on board when those when that rule came out. But listen, I'm a hundred percent on board now. If I if I don't have to get home at five a.m. Yeah, some of these games, all four runner on second base. To be honest, <laughs> that was that's Nobody crazy. No, nobody needs that. I am curious from your perspective, uh, because of course with Nesson, especially this year, it's been noticeable with like people shifting in the booth. You got more people doing pre and post. How do you approach doing a pregame show with, let's say, like Jim Rice versus if like Middlebrooks is in there? It's not. I know that can't be the same kind of show. You got to learn people's tendencies. How oh they they take pauses maybe a little longer and that like that kind of stuff. I think is overlooked as a challenge? Cause I'm sure that's a challenge for you to adjust to different people that you're working with. What's that process like when you know who's going to be there for pre and post that night? Um, well, I think the mentality stays the same and the mentality is you want to be as engaging as possible with the partner you're working with. Right. Yeah. So you don't want to, let's say Adam or Tom is right here on this side or will or wake and, and Jim's on this side. When you're talking if TC brings up something, you're having a conversation. You always want to kind of look to your left and engage them as much as possible because that's where it starts to get fun. You know, you, you asked Jim Rice about left field. You know, for me as a pitcher, I felt like I could reach out and touch the wall from the mound. It feels like it's that close. Yeah. So if you talk about the Jim about the angles and and and, and how you uh, get to a ball down the line, that's a scraper down there and, and whatnot, or, or talk about hitting. It's the same with Will and, and mm -hmm. with Wake. It might be a little bit different, you know, because he's a pitcher, but um. 
the goal is just to be as engaging and, and, and have as much conversation with your partner as possible because uh, it's not it's not scripted, really. The topic might come up and, and before we go on, like, hey, let's talk about this a little bit. But it veers off. You know, you talk to Jim about something and it could go in any direction. Same with Will. Uh, it's all about passing the baton. And that's what yeah. Tom Karen told me early on. He's like, listen, if I say something, don't pause and then bring it up. Right, like when I'm about to say my last word, like take it, take it, take the mm -hmm. baton, run with it, and then pass it off to the next guy and then pass it back to me if it's just a two-man uh, table that, that day. I'm sure one thing to get used to is the producer in your ear. Because I just remember the behind-the-scenes stuff of just like, I don't know how these guys are doing this. Wow, they got a producer talking and you're on live TV. It's like Sean Allen's in here. Like, we got to go to break. Got to go to break. And it's like, all right, I guess yeah. that part has to be tough. Because just like doing radio, that's my only real comp, is that when you got break, but you're but you're rolling, that sucks. I, I think there's few things that are more annoying, but it's just the nature of the beast. than like when you got yeah. some good flow going and it's like, oh, we got to go to break. That, that part's got to be and tough. I I think it's more annoying for TC because I've had a tough time with this this year, actually. There's a few times where toward the end of the show, we do these look lives where we have a, a live footage of Nathan Evaldi warming up. And we're talking about what we want to see from him that day or this and that. And uh, I'll be rolling, like you said, talking about Nate. And then I'll like miss. All right. Ten seconds. I'll start. I've done this. I think in the past like two weeks, I've done this. <laughs> And they're in there, and I'm, like, talking. I'm rolling. This is what you want to see out of them. I want to see five pitches. I want to see him establish a fastball early, blah, 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 blah. And then I'll look at TC, and he's like, he's like, come on, let's go. And then he'll and then he'll be like, right when I finish this, it's like, all right, enjoy the game. That's how much time we have, right? I, I, I've dropped the ball a few times, and he'll tell you. He's like, this means just going. This means, this means stop, stop, right? So – He's good with it though. He's kind of just letting you go and yeah, kind of teaching me the. Yeah, that, that's funny. That's that it, it's part of it. That's TV where it's like you probably don't even hear the countdown sometimes. It's like, yeah, I got a good point to make. Can I please get this out here? It's like giving an acceptance speech and they're like hitting you with the timer. Like, come on now, we gotta gotta go to break. You, you talk to baseball players. There's tunnel vision, right? Yeah. There's tunnel vision. The games and the the best games you play, you don't remember anything. Everything's just blurred, right? My worst games. I can remember everything. I remember mm -hmm. the baby crying on the front row. I can remember faces in the crowd. When you're when you're rolling, you don't remember anything. Details as far as anything other than what you're doing on the mound is, is kind of blurred. Only a couple more for you, Lenny, uh, about this current Red Sox team. I know the bullpen's just been a grind and a half. This has been painful for everybody to watch this year. Uh, I, I feel for Cora, really. I mean, I know obviously injuries factored in, but not really for the bullpen. That, that should have had more... They should have been more prepared for this season with that. Uh, and even in talking with Heim, he he totally agrees with that one. How many reliable relievers do you think it takes to make a good bullpen? To really have, oh, okay, watch out for the Red Sox. They have a really good pen. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with the ninth inning. I feel like you need a guy that's kind of a lockdown presence. You know, whether it's your Falk or, or you know, your Palpelbon, the two guys that I played with when I was with, with the Red Sox, these are the guys that you know – majority of the time they're going to be on their game and they're they've they've got that the the a the stuff to go out and do it and b that closer mentality to where they want the ball they're a little bit off the rocker in the best possible way for the ninth inning right doesn't mean they throw incredibly hard but they know how to pitch and they know how to go right after hitters 
You can't go out there and dilly-daddle on the corners. You have to have that mentality where, listen, my best stuff against your best stuff, it's a draw. Let's go see what, what you got right here. That's what you need. You need a guy that's established in the ninth inning. Whoever that is, go out and get him, right? And then from there, you're talking about setup guys, whether it's Tanner Houck or Whitlock. I feel like those two guys fill that role pretty well. I I, I was on board for Whitlock being a starter, and, and now I'm kind of looking back and I feel like I feel like he's in the role that he needs to be in. He's a bullpen yeah. guy. As long as he can stay healthy and, and bounce back, you know, maybe if he throws two or three days in a row, maybe he can kind of build up that that strength when he's completely healthy. Um, and then from there, you're going to need your long guys, your Matt Stroms. I feel like he's done okay this year because uh, I like I like Strom because he's a, he's effective against righties and lefties. He can go out there and throw two, three innings if if they really need him. Uh, but um, as far as the fill-in guys before the closers and not the middle guys, I feel like you need guys that can throw strikes. That's the biggest thing. When they're in trouble, they're walking guys. They're, oh, they're not much. attacking the strike zone. You have to attack the strike zone and have that mentality. Uh, just uh, it, 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 how do you put it? it, it there's a no-fear mentality. Like, I don't care who's up there. I'm going to throw strikes. I'm not going to kind of pick on the corners and – because as soon as you start walking the guy, no out or two out walks, you know those guys are going to score. They're going to mm. get themselves back into the game. So it goes back to pitching and not throwing. You need some pitchers. You have to go out and get some guys that know how to go out there and pitch. You know whether it's two, maybe three pitches out of the bullpen. Two's fine, but just be efficient with those two pitches. Three, four pitches per at bat, in and out. You mentioned the confidence level, and I think that's a huge part of it, and just the the attacking mentality. It's been too many times this year where a pitch, let's be honest, is not a strike. And you're getting that, you know, kind of look in. It's like, guys, come on. Like, we, you got to – the goal shouldn't be to strike out a guy on a gift pitch. It should be to actually go after him, hit the corner, and know you did and get the K call instead of like, oh, you know, tilt the head. A few things bug me more. And I don't know if you, you – I'm sure you pick up on that too. But I just feel like that mentality is – I don't want to say it's a loser mentality, but it kind of is. If you're constantly hoping you're getting gift calls, it's not going to work out for you. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the difference between control and command. You know, like, yeah, you can throw strikes all day, but can you command in the zone? Can you command out of the zone when you need to? Pitching is not necessarily just throwing strikes all the time. It's being able to put a ball effectively under the guy's hands or chin or mm -hmm. move his feet with the slider to be able to set up a good two-seamer away. Um, so, uh, you, uh, if you look at Bayo prior to the game yesterday, they put all his strikeouts. There's all these baseballs going towards the screen and showed where all his strikeouts, everyone, except for, I want to say two on the changeup were outside the strike zone, right? Mm -hmm. The reason he's getting those strikeouts outside the strike zone is because he's getting ahead and it looks yeah. like it's going to be a strike and it ends up being out of the zone. So again, that's movement right there. That's being able to establish that you're throwing strikes in order to get guys to be aggressive out of the hand. So, um, A, get ahead, establish the fastball, be able to get ahead with that. It's going to allow them to expand outside the strike zone. You get all, you get all those swing and misses when you do that. Uh, you don't have to go out there and, and throw it right down the middle. You know, if you can pitch a pitch certain hitters certain ways, they're going to chase, you know, but it all starts with strike one. Yeah, the amount of guys that have come into games this year and gotten behind 2-0, like, immediately, and you're just, oh, my God. It's just, again, here we go. This is going to be constant. So, Ideally, that changes. There's been uh, sometimes certain pitchers will just go right after him. It's three up and three down. And then the next time, it's two walks and a double. 
Yeah. So the consistency just hasn't, hasn't been there. Uh, last question for you, and it's something that I'm sure you guys have talked a lot about, and we all will over the next month or two or however long this goes. Your current thoughts on Xander Bogarts uh, potentially returning to the team. I know we all have opinions on it. Where do you stand on Bogey potentially being here next year and beyond? Yeah, I think you've got to stay at Red Sox. I, uh, Red Sox. I feel like he's uh, he's the face of the organization. He's the most accountable player in the clubhouse. He's uh, he's the leader. He might not necessarily have a C on his uniform, but he's the captain. Uh, when the Red Sox lose, you can see it on his face that he actually mm. cares that they lost. Right? Yeah. There's there's certain players in post game interviews that just don't quite have that that feeling on their face. They're not wearing it as well. So uh, again, now we're not even talking about stats, right? We're talking about the leadership. And look what he's done this year. Yeah, the, the power numbers aren't quite there, but the average is there. I feel like his fielding has been above par as far as his career. Um, he's been relatively healthy. You know, you're going to run into situations where you're going to be uh, dealing with certain certain uh, injuries and pain throughout the season. But overall, I think he's been he's been great. So um, when you're drafted, you're drafted on what they feel like you're going to do when you're an established player you're paid for what you've already done right yeah so look what he's already done go out there you got to pay the guy you got to keep him i feel like as far as optics and keeping this uh this team where they want to go upward trajectory is going to start with signing a guy like bogarts so the real last question here is the trivia question about you and you definitely know the answer see a lot of times i get a feel for if the player like I feel like there's two types of players. There's one that doesn't remember a damn thing from their career, and then a lot of them that actually do remember specific stuff. The question is, who's your only career hit off of? Do you remember that? Yeah, Yeah, obviously, right? That's too easy. Yeah, (laughs) I'll tell you every at-bat that I took. My hit was off of Matt Cain. Matt Cain, throwing like 95, up and away, check swing. Struck me out the same day. Uh, And Tom Glavin struck me out, grounded me out. And uh, Corey Lytle struck me out, rest in peace, in Philadelphia. That was my five at-bats. So you made contact against Clavin. I did, which is like a close second as far as uh, my happiest moment in baseball, other than my, my hit, being to put the ball in play on Tommy Glavin. Struck me out on a changeup, a lefty-lefty changeup. And hit a, I want to say hit a double off me the same game, too. So Jeez. That is tough. Well, yeah. I saw you went six innings uh, shutout in the game that you got the hit and you got the no decision, the A's did you no favors offensively that day. I think you guys ended up winning two, nothing a couple runs late, but I'm like, Oh, Lenny was dealing. He, he got bonds to fly out. He, he got a hit two bond. You did everything in that game, but no decision. Unfortunately, it should have been a win. Yeah. You know, when I, when I went to Oakland, I tell you what, it was, uh, it was a different experience because you go from kind of being that small fish, so to speak, in a big mm. in a big pond in uh, in Boston, to kind of going to a clubhouse there was a lot of younger guys. Uh, they gave me an opportunity there that I appreciate. They say, "Here's the baseball." You know, a few guys like Joe Kennedy and Rich Hard were injured, so they gave me 20 starts that year, and I think I made 15 relief appearances in the same year. And two of those were six plus innings in mm. relief. <laughs> so uh, I was able to kind of uh, build a lot of confidence in 2007 uh, in Oakland. It's a little bit lower hey. pressure situation. Yeah, but still, still, I don't think it's low pressure facing Barry Bonds. That, that's for damn sure. Yeah. But uh, Lenny DiNardo, thank you so much, man. Thank you for doing this. You are a great human. I greatly enjoy watching you do pre and post game. Continued success with that. 
I, for all of our sake, I can't wait for the offseason. I mean, I'm sure you guys got to be grinding at this point. We're all grinding at this point. Get this last three weeks under our belt. But uh, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great stuff. I appreciate that very much. And yeah, it should be an exciting offseason. Hopefully they get a lot done and built for next season. and We see a, a different outcome next year. Hey, let's hope. Let's hope, man. All right. Take care. Thank you, sir. Big shout out to Lenny. Really appreciate him hopping on the show. I've gotten to know Lenny pretty well over the last few years. Really nice guy. One of the nicest dudes at the park, honestly, at, at Fenway. When you see Lenny DiNardo, you're like, oh, it's going to be a good combo. This, this is just a nice gentleman over here. So that was a fun interview. Uh, Joey was on his buddy's bachelor trip for that interview. So that was a solo job. For some of you OGs, that was a, a section Steve right there. But um, that was fun. That was an enjoyable time talking with Lenny DiNardo. And we got plenty more interviews coming up this offseason. Red Sox eliminated from postseason contention. Sad times in Red Sox Nation. We're all going to get through this together. Next year is going to be a lot better, folks. All right. This offseason is going to be one of the most intense offseasons in Red Sox history. Been watching The Bachelorette with my girlfriend. And Jesse Palmer always sells. He's like, this is going to be the most intense Bachelorette finale in the history of this show. I genuinely think this will be one of the most active off-seasons for the Red Sox. And it has to be. It has to be. The position you're in, you can't have back-to-back seasons like that. The Sox are on pace right now for, I think, the third worst record in a full season in 30 years for the team. So... This ownership group does not want to look at that again next year. You got to have reinforcements and you got to be ready to go. And we are going to break that down all offseason long with several great interviews like this one with Lenny DiNardo. Shout out to Lenny. Appreciate you hopping on. We will be back with more Red Sox breakdown as they wrap up the 2022 campaign. But until then, for Joey Capone, I am Steve Peralt. Go Sox game. Inside the Monster is a production of Odyssey in partnership with the Boston Red Sox. The show is produced by me, Steve Peralt. Our executive producer is Lena Glazer, mixing and video editing by Joey Capone. Special thanks to the Red Sox and Major League Baseball for their contributions to the production of this podcast. (laughs) 